the Koi Gig Pod. I think all the concerns that we have obviously being that middle tier are very valid considering just how much we benefited from playing teams of a higher calibre going into our qualifiers. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support. Top pocket goal! It's what dreams are made of. They are going to the World Cup Finals! Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the award-winning Koi Gig podcast. Yes, in case you missed it on Friday, Koi Gig was named the best podcast of the 2022 Digital Media Awards. So of course, I have to lead with that straight off the bat. Uh, anyone who heard me on Off The Ball, Pat Kenny or this podcast today will know that my voice is still slightly dead from Friday night and celebrating it. I do think I sound slightly worse than I did after we won the World Cup, but we won't. That was, that was on a Friday night and the World Cup qualification was middle of the week. Um, <laughs> I just want to say at the top of the show, thank you to everyone who listened to us over the past year. There is no way we would have won this award without everyone listening along and interacting with the podcast. Uh, and the podcast especially wouldn't be what it is without our producer, Catherine Murphy, who you never get to see, but is always running the show and especially keeping us all on time and making sure that we don't ramble off. It's and a then harder of task than you'd think, to be <laughs> yeah. fair. Shocking yeah. that a load of big melts like us can't like just keep on time yeah. and not make this power podcast about five hours long. Uh, and then, of course, there is Emma Carroll, who offers us our expert team of the weeks and the daring duo of former internationals, Emma Byrne and Karen Duggan, who provide their insight every single week and answer all my silly questions about the WSL. So a big round of applause for the entire team on what is a really nice accomplishment. And it's nice to know that we're not just chatting random stuff. Other people actually think we're doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought, huh? <laughs> I love Karen just Sorry, I, do, you want us to, do you want us to comment on that? <laughs> Congratulations to all. It was very well deserved. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, myself and Emma were, Emma Carroll, I should specify, were at the awards on Friday. So we got to kind of bask in the champagne glow of the whole thing. But Karen, did you do anything nice to celebrate? Did you raise a cup of tea to us when you went home? <laughs> I sure did. Me and Bernie Duggan had a right cup of tea together, a big strong <laughs> cup. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, we made sure we marked it all right. Cause yeah, it was lovely. I, couldn't believe it when they sent the message in, sent the picture in. It's it's a lovely acknowledgement. Um, kind of caps off kind of everyone's labor of love that this has been. So it was great. Mm. It was a very dangerous point of the night to win an award because it was towards the end. Everything was kind of in your head. You're like, oh yeah, wrapping up now. Head home soon, and then did won you the award. Oscar esque speech, or yeah, it... did you have to make a speech that late on after <laughs> champagne and wine? Filled? No, thankfully not. We just had to go up on stage to take a picture, which I haven't That's... seen yet, but I imagine I was think, slightly googly eyed. If it was me and Emma, that I'm not sure we would. We wouldn't have made it. There. We wouldn't have made it up those steps. I don't think. Well, I was kind of like half in shock whenever they announced her name because I wasn't expecting it. So I'd actually met one of the judges outside before our award and he was kind of like hinting that we hadn't won. So I just had it in my head that we hadn't won and I wasn't going to have to do anything. Oh, you you just coincidentally met one of the judges. <laughs> just for the handover of the brown envelope. You, you know, changed his mind. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, so then whenever they announced her name, everyone else kind of got up, and I was just still sitting there in a bit of a daze, smiling. And Emma Carroll had to kind of grab my arm and be like, Kathleen, come on, we have to actually go up and get the award now. Um, but no, it was, it was really nice. And I think, especially this is with everything that's happened this year, it's also just another nice way to top it all off. Yes. And we'll have our Koi gig celebration sometime soon. To Oh, you keep promising when we, all, when we all meet each other in real life. Yeah, exactly. Well, I thought this was going to be the night and that we would finally do it. We'd meet in real life. We'd win an award. I mean, it would be the best buy ever. And then you let me down and went back to Kilkenny, but it's fine. I'm over it. Sorry. Well, like I said, it's off season now. So the weekends fill up fast. And this was unfortunately. You get all your socializing in as quick as you can. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we did have a match tonight to talk about. So it's not all just talking about how many glasses of champagne Kathleen had. Oh, I think we should go back to that rather than the match, to be honest. (laughs) This is we need to get like Emma Carroll on and instead of doing like a team of the week, she can do an assessment of Kathleen's evening. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's just like my friends, basically, the the morning after. They just run down everything that happened, which is the worst thing that can happen the next day. You definitely don't need reminders. No, thank you. No, I don't think so. Although, and like there were, there were like, it was a work event as well, technically. So, you know, you kind of have to. Networking, isn't that what they call it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what they call it. It was funny as well. We did feel a bit like the riffraff journos because everyone else was like media heads and like, like marketing and all that sort of thing. And they were all very glam. And I I was just like, yes, I'm very out of place in the middle of all this. (laughs) (laughs) No, never. You're an award-winning journalist. Come on. Thank you, Karen. I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. It is. You know, that's it for a year. Come on. Come on <laughs> I'll take it, to be honest. I can clip this and keep playing it to make myself feel better. Uh, the Koi Gig Pod, no to be sports, is an association with Cabri FC, official snack partner to Republic of Ireland women's national team. So like we said, this week was an international window, so we won't have any WSL chat at the end of the podcast, but we are going to be talking about ACL injuries, which is something that we have uh, talked about a lot on the podcast, we, especially during the Euros. Karen, myself, and you cried over the various players that got ACL injuries and kept them out of the tournament. But before we do that, we want to look a little bit at Ireland versus Morocco, which literally just the final whistle just went as I logged onto the Zoom. So no better timing, fresh reaction. Uh, the two teams did meet on Friday. And that was a 2-2 draw and a kind of behind closed doors match, which wasn't really publicized all that much. I mean, all I know is that we went 2-0 up and then it was a 2-2 draw. It was a shadow squad. Tonight, more of a normal squad, more of the sort of players you would expect, even if the formation was thing that certain members of this podcast weren't all that happy with. But the problem uh, was that we did expect this formation. I thought we might see something <laughs> different for once, but no. Well, it was a 4-0 win, which was good. There was, we went 2-0 up in the first is like 16 minutes-ish, and I fully expected us to kind of push on from there. And then for about an hour or so, it looked like, we weren't going, well, maybe not an hour, it was really like 45 minutes. It didn't look like we were actually going to push on and it was a bit nerve wracking at times. How did you guys feel tonight went? Um, I just think, you know, you're expecting, you're expecting more every time you're expecting more. And I just feel like you kind of get the same thing again, especially against a team like Morocco, who who didn't do too badly. And actually I thought they were, 
very well set up tactically and um, they just didn't have the quality but regarding our our girls um, again same story about you know those three at the back marking one player no need to sit back so deep then you've got the two are they wing backs I don't know yeah, it's the call biggest them wing backs for let's argument. call them wing backs in and Megan Campbell sitting right back and Katie sitting on her toes, which why? Why do we need Katie back there when they're playing one up front? I don't understand. I don't understand. And whatever's coming from the sideline, me as a player, I do not want Katie sitting right in front of me. I want to push her up the pitch. Number one, because she's better higher at the pitch. And number two, I want that space to go higher. So in general, I just think it was a great opportunity for our fullbacks, Jamie Finn and Megan Campbell in the first half to play as that wing back position and go higher because we'd literally no width with them because they were sitting back and um, kind of changed a little bit though. I think um, I really like Kyra Carusa. I, I just really, really like her. I think she should be playing more. I think she should be given a chance because when she comes on the pitch, the dynamics change a little bit. You know, she's going to hold the ball up, which is, which is encouraging for our, wide players to go a little bit higher, which they did just towards the end of the second half there. And they ju- we just look like a more attacking team, a better team. And it just looks normal <laughs> for us to have higher players on the pitch. Um, but yeah, I thought nice subs. Lily Ag did very well. Again, more impressive the more I see her. I think obviously Denise is, is a class player. Um, some interesting, interesting performances for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, smiling and nodding. Yeah, the odd time that we did get a a switch on the play out to the wing back, there was so much space there to exploit. And it should have been something that was obvious. We should have played the ball around in the middle a little bit more. Um, I agree with Emma. We're too quick to drop off 3v1. And that's been a problem that we actually stopped against Scotland because Niamh Fahey stepped in to stop Caroline Weir. So we identified that the 10 was the threat. So we need to assume that the 10 is the threat more often and just be braver in those situations because we've three of the most experienced centre-backs in any international team flanked by the likes of Megan Campbell and Jamie Finn who are well able. Um, I think possibly today we I, it was the first time I probably saw them were missing maybe a Megan Connolly. I think she holds that position better and um, just kind of acts as that pivot. I think Lily Ag is really good on the ball, but she wants to get forward. She wants to get involved in those plays. And I think that she's really, really good at that. So they are missing Megan. I think she'll be a great one to get back in. Um, and obviously Heather Payne's to come back, hopefully Leanne Kiernan as well. But I agree. Um, I'd like to see more of... Uh, Kyra and would have liked to have seen her earlier possibly in the game as well just to mm. change the dynamic a little bit because like I say she does just link up the play very very well and she can run off the shoulder as well and she can be a target player I do think she's quite well rounded and it would be nice to see more of her because we are going to be running Heather Payne into the ground again we're going to need a different option and she just allows us to switch up from that long ball play the whole time Mm. which encourages and, us to get forward. And of course, get her goal as well on her 27th. Yeah. Oh, what a goal. What After a goal, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, one player I do want to ask you both about who made her 100th cap today is Louise Quinn, uh, an absolute stalwart of the game. And there was some really, really nice pieces around the place today talking about her, which everyone should definitely check out. But I want to ask you guys for either your best Louise Quinn story or like a best moment that you've had with her where you were just like, this is this is someone who is a great person. 
You could have given us a heads up there, Kathleen. I mean, we do have a group chat. Just text us before. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first thing that pops into your mind. It doesn't have to be the greatest thing ever. But I think like a lot of the pieces today were people like myself, maybe who've watched her play. And I know what she means to me in that context or her giving interviews and talking about her career. But as people who've played alongside her and know her, it's just interesting to get your perspective on it. I mean, Louise, she's a great girl. She's just a great girl to have around the camp. She's very relaxed and she mixes well with everyone. And and then she's just great to have on the pitch because there's nobody in the world better than her in the air. And it's, you know, we'd have a laugh about it because she'd come off the pitch after her head in the ball about 150 times (laughs) and she would win the ball 150 times and, you know, just... She's just a great girl to have around, really good personality, really good professional, worked really hard to get in the shape that she's in, which is a very good shape and and just very humble, you know, coming into the dressing room, good for the younger players um, in general, just just a really sound girl. I'd have to say. Oh, yeah, I'd echo that. I mean, anyone new who comes into the squad, she'd be the first person over making them welcome and things like that. And like you say, she kind of has a a calm demeanor and she's good rapport with everyone. And for a while there, she was like our Shane Duffy. She was like the only one who could put the ball in the net. So she's (laughs) popped up at really, really important moments with goals. But it has been her defensive qualities. We like, like you say, when those balls are getting peppered into the box and your backs are against the wall, she's the one who steps up and puts her body on the line. We've seen her wearing masks, we've seen black eyes, broken noses, I'd say we've seen it all from Louise. Um, so I'm delighted that she's getting the praise that she is this week because it's well-deserved. Today, the first senior goal she's actually scored that wasn't with her head. I read somewhere today that everything she scored is a header. I don't think so. I think not surprised me. A couple. I think she's had a couple yeah. unusual goals. Like, yeah. just dropped, like she's headed it originally and then it's dropped to her and then she's yeah. like, yeah. maybe it was, maybe um, it was the first, I think maybe the thing was that every goal she has used her head in some capacity. I that, now that I would believe. Yeah. Well, and she's always the, one of the last women standing. However way you want to take yeah. that, you can take it as you will. Respect for that. <laughs> See, that's the little nugget of gold that we were all looking for. <laughs> uh, well, thank you both very much for that analysis. We will obviously be back with WSL chat next week. But coming up next in the podcast, we talk to Professor Joanne Parsons about women's ACL injuries, how they're caused and what we can do to prevent them a little bit more. The issues of ACL injuries in women's football has long been an issue, but particularly in the last year or so, we have seen some very high-profile players like Alexia Patelis, Marie Antoinette Cototo, Kristen Press, Kat Macario, Jennifer Marajan, Ellie Carpenter, Carpenter, Aidy Hergerberg, I could keep going on, and then even our very own Jess Zoo suffering from them. It has been in the headlines more than ever as a result, and we have talked about it on this podcast many times. And today we decided to take a bit of a look behind the headlines, ask why is this injury just so prevalent and are there more things that we could be doing to prevent them in women's football? Now, I like to think that the three of us know a lot, but we don't know everything. (laughs) So we have asked for some expert help this week to dissect what is actually going on with this injury crisis. And joining 
us is Professor Joanne Parsons, who works at the University of Manitoba in the US. Her research looks at the use of resistance training activities to maximize health and performance, as well as decrease injury risk across diverse populations. And one of her areas of study has been ACL injuries in women. Uh, Joanne, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I will just say one thing. I'm in Canada, not the U.S. Oh, sorry. In Canada. Sorry. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Canadian, that's a, not that's American. A very bad football on my part. I that's do okay. <laughs> um, Good start. Good start, Kathleen. Yeah. I thought I was doing so well, too. What can I say? I do apologize. Deeply. That's no problem. Um, so I suppose just to give our listeners a bit of a, an insight into your research and what exactly in the area of preventing ACLs you look at? Sure. So I, um, I'm a physiotherapist by background. So I come from a clinical um, perspective. I worked for probably about six years in the clinic um, treating sports-related injuries. Um, and so when I went into my master's and my PhD, I was really interested in looking at the effect of exercise training programs on ACL injury risk, and especially in young women and girls. I I am a big proponent of prevention. And so the earlier we can intervene, the better. And so I was working with um, girls as young as nine years old and getting them to do um, some preventative um, exercise training in my work. And then um, I kind of, um, alongside that, did some work with uh, another colleague of mine on the weight room and how girls and women perceive the weight room, how uncomfortable they feel there, uh, feel in there a lot of times, and how that relates to injury prevention, because strengthening is a really important part of exercise training for injury prevention. But if they can't go into the weight room and feel comfortable there, then what's the point? Um, and so I doing that, I read a lot more about um, ACL injuries, and of course, over the years and years, and I kind of got tired of, um, I got tired of seeing that women were biologically more susceptible. That's basically how it's been approached to this point. And so uh, now um, I'm still very interested in exercise training, but now for ACL injury prevention, but now I'm looking a little bit more into the bigger picture and like the social influences on ACL injury risk. Yeah, because I thought it was interesting over the weekend, uh, there was an article about ACL injuries and you actually sent it to me earlier today and I'd already seen it over the weekend because everyone on my timeline was talking about it. And I thought it was interesting. You had quote tweeted it and just said, uh, after 30 years, tens of thousands of research publications and no change in ACL injury rates, the focus on anatomy and hormones as the primary causes of ACL injuries needs to shift. And I was reading some of your papers and I found it really interesting. Something I didn't realize that the rates for men had actually decreased and general population were decreasing, but they weren't for women. So I was like, well, that kind of takes the focus away from what everything I thought I knew about ACL injuries, which was women were just more likely to get them. And that's, we don't know what the reason is. It must be something biological or whatever it is. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I suppose, that research that you've done into, I know you mentioned it there, but the weight training, the resistance training, the fact that young girls might find it more difficult to go into a gym or be more intimidated by that? 
Yeah. So the, yeah, it is interesting. I'll just go back to something you said there about the um, injury rates. It is interesting that every population is a little bit different, whether you're looking at general population, the age of athletes, um, whether they're recreational or elite athletes, everyone has a slightly different injury risk. But yes, it is true that men's rates have either stayed the same or gone down, whereas women's have stayed the same or in many cases gone up over the last 20, 30 years. So it is very concerning. Um, so yeah, the, the, um, the research paper that we came out with last year um, basically suggests that there's four different, we call them environments in sport where gender might be influencing ACL injury risk. So pre-sport training competition, and then in rehabilitation or treatment. And so we suggest that it starts early. Really, it starts when we're born, right? It starts with um, parents and family and friends giving kids gender specific toys, right? Dolls for girls, active tools and cars for boys, right? Um, pink for girls, boys, uh, boys get blue. So those types of gender, uh, gendered types of clothing, activities and toys. So it starts really early. Um, even the, the types of sports that girls can play as far as what's available to them. That starts even, you know, pre, um, pre competitive sport anyway. Some things are just not available. There's, when I grew up, there was no girls ice hockey in my part of Canada. I would have loved to play ice hockey, but we, there was just no girls teams. It was just boys. So some of that had, you know, plays into, um, our opportunities for development of different motor skills and different, um, abilities and which can carry through our whole sport life, really. Um, and that, and that starts even, uh, like you mentioned with the weight room, I mean, it's very common in boys, um, sports to get them into the weight room early, right? They're doing what we call dryland training or in, in the weight room on a regular basis, as well as their sport training with girls. That's not as common. Um, certainly not as at, at as young of age as boys go in there generally. Um, and I think that's a whole bunch of things. I think it's, beliefs perhaps of coaches and parents uh, of athletes themselves, whether they believe that that's um, something that's valuable to them as an athlete. Um, but I also think it's a lot of the environment that we have set up for kids. Um, weight rooms especially are very um, masculine spaces that are often not um, uh, welcoming to anyone who doesn't kind of prescribe to that, you know, the, the, the football masculine masculinity, you know? Um, and so girls are just not as likely to go in there. I've, I've done focus groups and interviews with high school girls and they're like the, the comments they come up with are quite jarring. Really. It's, you know, you feel like uh, one of the quotes was um, you feel like a, uh, a model on a catwalk and not in a good way, right? You feel judged and people are looking at you, judging you that you shouldn't be in there, that you don't know what you're doing. Um, They've had, they described instances of where boys would actually take over their spaces. They had, you know, a girl had a barbell set up to do some sort of exercise and the boy would come in and actually take over the space and take the weights. And so those are the kinds of things that we're, that we're dealing with and, and we need to change systemically, not just, you know, once you reach competitive or elite sport, that needs to start early. And in 
when you're looking at these things and like say looking at it in the elite context compared to say maybe the grassroots or like people just training on their own Mm -hmm. is that something then that feeds into like coaching practice and rehab practice and even you talked in the paper about um and you mentioned it there as well about these things starting early days where the the care given to women at like before and after an ACL injury is sometimes different to men and I was reading that and I was like I wonder does that kind of feed into the 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 studies that we see that says like women are less likely to be taken seriously by a medical professional if they say something hurts or like a black woman is even more likely to not be taken seriously or a woman of color so like depending on which group you come from you're less and less likely does that feed into what you're looking at as well? Absolutely. Um, it, it, and that's the thing that's really interesting is that what we're suggesting about ACL injury really can be um, uh, can be applied across many sports injuries. So concussion, uh, girls, women suffer concussions more often, um, ankle sprains as well. Um, <clears throat> and across medicine, like you mentioned, there's there's a lot of research that suggests that, uh, you know, women don't get offered surgery as often, uh, cardiac surgery. Their heart attacks are not recognized in women as quickly as in men. Uh, they're not treated the same way. And so ACL, uh, and there's some in um, preliminary research that shows that that's the same way. Girls and women are not offered surge, ACL surgery as often as boys or men. Now, we know we don't always need surgery, but if they're not receiving the same options. Why is that? I mean, it's certainly not because they have, you know, XX chromosomes. It's, it's something else is at play. And, and I think it's important to say too, um, specifically that often, most times, this is not a, um, a purposeful slight for girls or women. Like often it's not, it's just kind of these implicit biases and, and, ways of doing things that we've done for years and years and decades. And no one ever kind of just sets steps back and says, what, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And can we do something better? That's not going to disadvantage, you know, half the population basically. Emma and Karen, you've obviously been in these professional environments and like, even now, if Emma, like you're not still playing, but you're still in contact with a lot of people who are, how, have you seen any difference in how ACLs are treated or like attitudes toward them or even an increase? Cause I know Emma, we were talking about this last week and you taught, or maybe this week before you talked about how feeling there's been an explosion in these sort of injuries over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's um, incredible what you're saying, Joanne. I'm really shocked at some of this stuff, by the way. Um, yeah, there's a huge number of ACL injuries uh, within the Women's Super League here in England and in um, the league in Spain. Um, I know in Spain they're moving out of the, the weight room. They don't do weights. For example, Barca Football Club, they don't go into the gym to do weights. They, they don't agree with it anymore. They go and they do their training on the pitch and it's all impact training on the pitch and resistance more than anything. Um, but the men's team, they don't suffer ACLs, but the women's do. So how do we differ from the men's team? Because they do the same training. Now they're doing the same training out of the gym. And what's the difference with the women and the men? Yeah. I wish I had that answer, right? This is the, this is the problem. Like it's such a complex, um, complex problem. And this was part of the discussion on the weekend over Twitter was a lot of the attention has gone straight to biology, right? This biological approach that, um, 
you know, we have different anatomy than, than men. We have different physiology. Our, you know, muscle timing is different. Our, uh, the bony notches where the ligament sits are smaller. Um, hormones is always a big part of it because women are often, whenever there's anything wrong with a woman, it's often <laughs> goes straight to hormones, which is, uh, problematic, right? It, it kind of sets up this, um, um, stereotype that, you know, it's, it's ob- automatically hormones. So those things, there's definitely some, some, um, of that at play. There's no, no question about that, but there's so many other different things. So it's your training age. What, what age did you start playing soccer? Sorry, I call soccer football at, were you a multi-sport athlete? Do you have those skills from other sports that you can now That's apply? That's something I wanted to ask you about because yeah. I'd be a big proponent of playing multiple sports as a kid, not putting, and I read somewhere that you're not putting the same stresses through the same parts of your body. If you do do that, you know, you kind of develop right. different areas of your body because you're doing different movements. Have you seen that or would you agree with that? Because I know people are being asked to specialize earlier and earlier now because it does develop their skill set. But does it have a physiological impact if they do do that? Absolutely. The the research suggests that um, specializing very early is not a good thing for your physical development. Uh, and it makes sense, right? We want to develop all different kinds of physical abilities and um, performance abilities. And so just by doing one thing, yes, your skills, but your, your skill in that in that sport might be increased, but your physical uh, prowess maybe is not developed to its uh, to as diverse as it as it could be, and then you risk burnout, right? You specialize kids too early, and by the time they're twelve, it's like I'm sick of playing soccer twelve months a year. Let's do something different, right? So it absolutely specializing that another risk factor. I always I always uh, picture ACL injury risk as um, this a whole bunch of circles with interconnecting arrows and each one of those circles has something. So hormones, anatomy, muscle time, muscle firing, timing, training age, early specialization, and they all interconnect. And on any given day, this is the thing that makes it so frustrating is that on any given day, some of those risk factors are more important than others, right? Whether it's fatigue level, whether it's stress level, how much sleep the athlete got the night before, were they just on a plane for 12 hours traveling from somewhere and now they're on a different turf uh, than they were used to at home. So, and they're in a different pair of shoes. So you can see how all these different things are interplaying to cause an ACL injury. And for the majority of the time, they don't cause an ACL injury, right? We have lots of women play and don't ever uh, suffer an injury. Um, But on those certain days, all those things line up for a certain athlete. And then, and then that's when the injury happens. And that's what the challenge and the frustration of trying to tease out this problem is, is that it is very complex. So we cannot just say it's anatomy and hormones, right? It's all these things that interconnect. Do you think you will or anybody will come up with anything? Because this is a major problem. And it's funny you say that because when I was playing, I always knew when I was weaker in training, whether it's when I was tired or my menstrual cycle or whatever it was, I could feel just weaker, whether it's ligaments or I dislocate. Every time I dislocated something or did my, cruciate it was because I was really tired for different reasons right 
Yeah, I could feel absolutely. that. Absolutely. And yes, I mean, I think we we certainly know a lot more than we did 30 years ago. I mean, there's, uh, we know that- It was, introduced- it was actually more than 30 years ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So we have, you know, there's there's programs like the FIFA 11 plus prevention program. We know that if girls especially do those, uh, girls and young women do those programs, they can decrease their ACL injury risk by like 60%, 60%. So it's huge. So there's that part is that we know how to prevent them in one way as, as in, if you do this, you have a really reduced risk. But then the problem is implementing those programs. Lots of soccer, soccer coaches don't want to take, they take too much time. I want to spend the time on the skills rather than general fitness training. Joanne, what it yeah. does go into the FIFA 11 plus program, just for like, say our listeners who may have never heard of it before. Sure. And they can Google it. You can find it all over um, anywhere. Um, there's running drills that um, kind of increase in difficulty levels so that um, by the end of the running drills, you're kind of like running and jumping and bumping into your partner, but then landing back down again in like a good position with nice bent knees and con- in a controlled manner. Um, so there are those, those kind of things. Then in the middle of those running drills, there are things like squats and uh, planks, um, abdominal exercises, lunges, I'm trying to remember, but kind of strength and balance um, focused. Uh, So it's a variety of these things, but in um, previous research has shown that strength training is key to injury prevention. So of all the things like flexibility training, balance training, strength training, strength training is one of those key things that needs to be included for it to be successful, as well as that balance proprioception is another part that's really um, needs to be included. Yeah, because I know some managers, like say Barcelona there, I know some managers are very they're turning against the gym and stuff. And it's obviously just finding the right balance between the two. Um, and yeah, I think people blame heavy weights and things like that. But again, it's, I suppose it's balancing your load and things like that. Absolutely. And it'd be interesting to know um, that you're talking about Spain and how they're not men's and women's teams are not being in the gym anymore. Well, Sorry, John, this is what I was going to say. I think the problem is that we just tend to follow what the men are doing. And perhaps that's the problem. We need our own individual specific training because we are different. Like that is. And I was going to, I was going to say like, um, it'd be interesting to know what the training history of the men on those teams is. Like if they've already been weight training or some sort of resistance training for 10 years by the time they're at that level. The women's team, maybe they've only been doing it for five years previously, right? But so they're not equal. They're not the same at this point. So you can't just say, well, now we're going to do the same thing because that's, it's fine. We It'll work for both because you don't have the same um, history going into it. So that would be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, from all the research that I've seen, um, is, is strength is, is imperative. You, you have to have a good baseline strength, um, to, and I mean, that makes sense for performance too, right? I mean, you, you can't be a good performer and, and, uh, perform well at your sport without a baseline amount of strength either. Yeah. And just another non-gender specific thing. Uh, we mentioned someone change in turf that they're on. Have you seen, is it the changing between two different grounds that you've seen major problems in, or is it 
the AstroTurf or boggy pitches, we'll say, um, or is it, I, I think it's probably the change. You might have to explain that one. I'm <laughs> <laughs> assuming that means wet. Yes, you know, <laughs> okay. It's a very yeah. Irish term for like a muddy <laughs> pitch. Um, that's a great question. I know that um, it's not my area of specialty, so I'm not uh, 100% on the most recent uh, research, but I certainly know that artificial turf can be more risky than natural turf for sure and then it's not just the turf itself it's the interface between the turf and the cleats as well so what types of cleats are, are on the shoe um, that makes a big difference as well so and then weather makes a difference is it wet is it dry um, you know that kind of thing so or is it snowy like it is here in in Manitoba right now um, so th- those things are all definitely um, increased risk and, and certainly artificial turf is particularly risky, I believe. And I think they've kind of done away with the blade boots now because they were, again, were just the finger was being pointed at them for a while for um, a lot of injuries. So they're gone. So now yeah. we have to find something else to blame. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? It's like, oh, if we fix this one thing, it's just going to mm-hmm. fix everything. Well, it's, it, it, it has to be bigger than that. You can't just, or you can't just monitor hormones and and pretend that fixing, changing that is going to fix the problem. It's, it's much bigger than that. Yeah. Well, again, that's something we can't change. So it's going to have to be things like your FIFA 11 program and things like that, um, building up the right strengths to counteract whatever weaknesses we might have or laxes because our, our hormone changes throughout a month. Yeah. And we haven't even mentioned, uh, you know, gendered responsibilities outside of, of, um, sport, right? So women, um, shoulder more of the non-paid work at home. So we do more of the housework, childcare, other types of, of care. And so if women are um, using their time to do those kinds of things, whereas men don't have to do that as often, they have more time to train. They have more time to rehabilitate from an injury. Um, they have the resources, right? Women are not paid the same as men, right? And so the, even things like that, they don't have, women's teams are more more likely to have volunteer medical staff um, versus the men's team have paid experts. So um, there's all those things that feed into it too, that are different, not because where we have XX chromosomes, it's because of a a gendered related um, expectations, beliefs, rules, or whatever. So if you would, for the next couple of years, like to see a direction that this research would go in, is it looking at it in a kind of, I don't know if interdisciplinary is kind of the right word, but say taking all those circles that you mentioned before and putting all those people into a team and saying, okay, we're going to, you're going to study the stuff that you know, and then we're all going to come together and see how these things interact. Is that kind of the the way forward that you're advocating for at the moment? Absolutely. I absolutely. And we've started that. Um, Dr. Becker and Dr. Cohen that I wrote that paper with last year, they're like, I'm a physiotherapist clinician. Um, Steph Cohen is a health geographer. So she looks at how environments affect health and healthy behaviors. And then Cherie Becker is a social scientist and looks at kind of the safety in sport. And so we come from very diverse backgrounds. Uh, and I, and we have some projects planned. We're just waiting to hear that we have funding for them. That's the big thing, right? Is, and that's a whole nother thing we could talk about is, uh, you know, research funding for, for women's um, sport is not as, prevalent and as not as common. So um, we are planning some projects and we are going to be looking at those bigger 
environmental, social kind of influences that we think might be influencing um, injury risk. But ultimately, yes, we need to team up with um, the folks who are looking at hormone levels and the folks who are looking at biomechanics and try to figure it all out and and come up with the best solution that we can. I mean, we're never gonna we're never going to prevent all injuries, of course. Injuries sometimes are accidents. They just happen and, and we're not going to prevent that. But hopefully we can improve things better than they have been. Another interesting thing just that I've seen is now people opting not to get the surgery. Yes. And going down the non-surgical route. I don't know if you have an opinion on that or if you have any more information on that for people, because I think people assume, oh, when is your surgery? But it's not always the option taken now. No, and it actually is going uh, a bit more that way now that, you know, finding that um, the ACL can actually repair itself in some cases. And and so that the ends will find each other and kind of repair itself um, on its own without surgery. That won't happen in every case, but... Um, I mean, I think it's it's a balance and it's a discussion between your healthcare professionals and, and yourself and, and your parents if you're, you know, if you're a 14 year old or something. But there are risks associated with surgery, right? There's always the general health risks, um, but also um, just doing a reconstruction. You have to take a graft from somewhere. Right. So you're taking a previously healthy quadricep tendon or a hamstring tendon and taking a piece of it and putting that in as the new ACL. But now you've created a new injury. And there's lots of research to show that quad or hamstring that has been used as a as a graft site uh, doesn't come back to its its pre operative state. And that makes sense. Now it's you know, you're missing a part of it. Um, so there's that part of it that you're you need to consider with with rehabilitation. So I think some people think that oh, I'm, I'll have the surgery, it's quicker, I'll be back quicker. But that is not the case if you go back anywhere before about nine months, you're really at higher risk of, of re-injury. And so you need that extended period of time anyway, regardless of whether you have the surgery. Well, Joanne, thank you so much for your time. I know I learned a lot this evening and I'm pretty sure everyone listening along did as well. Uh, this is obviously an issue that we are very interested on the podcast because as we've said tonight, it's not like it's going to be solved anytime soon and it does need to be kept talking about so that hopefully more funding is put into it and we see less of these injuries because at the end of the day, not only do the players not benefit, us as fans of sport don't benefit either because we lose out on seeing some of the most talented people out there. So thank you so much for your time, Joanne. Really thank you for Joanne. having me. Thank you. <laughs> um, we just wanted to remind you of a competition that we are running before we wrap up the show. Thanks to our partners at Cadbury. We're supporting Irish women's grassroots football and we are giving away all the net profits from our most recent Cadbury Roadshow in Vicker Street. We're giving you the opportunity to win €1,000 worth of equipment for your local grassroots adult club. And it's so simple to win. All you have to do to be in at its chance is contact us with your club details and contact information at the Koi Gig Pod at Off The Ball. Dot com. Terms and conditions apply. Head over to otvsports.com for more. Emma, Karen and myself and Emma Carroll will all be back next week with the WSL back in action after the international break. And yeah, we can't wait to see you guys all then. We'll be back with more award-winning content. <laughs> I just will not tire for saying for the next while. Uh, thank you and see you all again next week. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support.